Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. You turned people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to your children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thank you, Joe. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful psalm that, that kind of paints human life uh, in the, against the backdrop of God's eternity. And we're going to refer to a couple of verses from it. We're also going to refer to other parts of the Bible. Um, and those quotes will appear on the screen behind me uh, when I give them. So you don't have to be uh, flipping back and forth, getting lost in the Bibles. But, but you can uh, read it, make note of it if, if that's helpful for you. Um, and just engage with that. Now, we're talking about uh, eternity today. I, I don't know if that's a concept that you've ever tried to picture in your mind or to grasp. Um, if you have, you've probably found it's a pretty weird and difficult concept to grab hold of. It's, it's just hard to wrap your mind around. Um, I remember hearing someone try once, um, and they, they gave an illustration. They, they said to all of us, um, you know, here's, here's a picture of eternity. So a picture in your mind, um, a mountain, you know, a huge uh, Mount Fuji kind of mountain, you know, classic um, postcard kind of mountain uh, and this this mountain is enormous and around this mountain um, there's a bird flying this bird never stops flying a bird never dies uh, and it takes this bird 100 years to fly around this mountain you know going constantly and every time this bird completes a lap around the mountain uh, it brushes off one grain of dust and it's a bit of a ludicrous picture, let's be honest. But anyway, it's, it's the picture that we were given. Every time it goes around, it brushes one grain of dust off of the mountain. And they said, the time it takes for that entire mountain to be worn away, that is a picture of eternity. I was quite young when I heard that, and I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's so deep. <laughs> that's, that's so profound. But now when I think about it, and when I, when I studied this during the week, I think, that picture is entirely inadequate. <laughs> it just doesn't get it, does it? Um, 
yes, that, that's a picture of an enormous number of a, a really, really long time, but, but that's all it's describing, isn't it? It's just describing a really, really, really long time. But eternity is something else altogether. Eternity is something different. So what do we mean then? What do we, what do we mean when we say that God is eternal or when we, when we read parts of the Bible like what um, Joe just read for us which tells us that from everlasting to everlasting you are God. What does that mean? How does God's eternity even work? And what does it matter for us? How does that impact on how we live as very time-bound people? Well, that's what we're going to try and unpack this morning as we, we study this topic and of course, our first difficulty is actually just defining time itself. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried that. It's, it's kind of hard. Uh, I got a quote from a guy called Augustine, who was a theologian about 1,700 years ago. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, what then is time? Provided that no one asks me, I know. If I want to explain it to an inquirer, I do not know. So we all kind of have a working understanding of time. But if you ever try to explain it to someone... <laughs> It's a hard thing to explain, isn't it? That said, we need something. Uh, we need some way to talk about time. And something I read this week uh, I thought was quite helpful. Uh, time is a succession of moments. That's how we're going to talk about time. Time is a succession of moments. It's not a perfect definition, but it's helpful. That's how we're going to think about time this morning. And so when we talk about eternity, or God's eternity then... How does it relate to time, to this idea of a succession of moments? Um, is that something that God experiences? Is he uh, in time? Is that how we would describe him? Or is God outside of time? You know, that time is down here and God is bigger than time. Which is it? Well, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> That's a really useful set of questions, isn't it? <laughs> God does not experience time, that is a succession of moments, in the way that you and I do. That's the key, not in the way that you and I do. He is not fully inside of time and subject to it. Uh, here's why. First of all, being inside of time automatically means change. Now, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, in the sense of, necessarily as in the sense of becoming new or becoming something different. But as soon as you're in time, there is something that is true about you. Uh, when you're in time, you have a past. Uh, you have a present. And you have a future. And one of those things is not the other one of those things. They're all distinct and separate things. And from what we've seen of God over the past weeks, we can see that that violates who he is and who, what the Bible teaches us. Uh, about his unchangeableness, about his unity and, and oneness. So that can't be true. But secondly, being inside of time also implies measurability. You know, anything in time, anything in this succession of moments can be counted, can't it? It can be measured. It goes for a certain stretch of numbers. Even if those numbers are really, really big, like the bird around the mountain, they still can be measured. There's still numbers that describe it. If God is fully inside of time, that implies that God too then can be measured. And that means by definition, he is not infinite. Because infinite things cannot be measured. And that would imply then that he's not perfect, but limited. Which goes against what we've seen over the past few weeks. 
And so we can conclude, God is not fully inside of time. You and I are. (laughs) We can't get away from it. We are temporal beings. Uh, Time rules us. Uh, Time directs our lives and guides us and at time limits us. But not God. God is different from us in that. God is everlasting. God is eternal. And God is therefore outside of time. And because God is outside of time... He is therefore free to act in time. He is free to interact with it. Uh, This is what Michael Horton, a a theologian, writes. uh, It should appear behind me. Although God transcends time and space, he enters both freely as through an open door that he has created. So God is above, but... God can enter and act in and upon freely in and of himself. If God were inside of time, his ability to act on time, to move about within it or to influence it, all of that would be limited by his very timeliness. But as the one who is above it, who transcends it, who created it, he alone has freedom to act upon it if and when uh, he chooses to, to, to enter it as he wills. All because he is above it. Now some might say, but, but hang on a sec. <laughs> Just wait a moment. If God, if the God who is above time and over time and beyond time, if he acts in time, if he interferes or intervenes, then doesn't he become caught up in it? You know, surely if he intervenes in our world, then he becomes by definition kind of bound up into our world and, 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 and bound himself to time. Wouldn't wouldn't that be how it works? But no, not necessarily so. Um, Think about an author writing a book. Uh, Say, for example, Tolkien writing one of the greatest books of all time, Lord of the Rings. Uh, And he is creating in that writing this this enormous masterpiece. You know, it's it's books upon books. Uh, It's this whole world that he describes. It's, It's a whole history of that world over thousands of years that he writes about. There's millions of characters. And all of that he's, he's, he's created, in, out, somehow out of his mind. And, and this world that he's created, Middle-earth, it has its own time, doesn't it? It has its own history. Events proceed logically there. There is a succession of moments within that. But, in spite of that, Tolkien, as, as the author, um, he's not caught up in that, is he? <laughs> he's not bound to it. Um, he can see the whole. He knows what's happening at the start, he knows what's happening at the end, and he, he knows what's happening throughout the middle as well. And as the author, um, he can dip into any part of the story that he pleases. If he wants to read page 1000, he can, and then go straight to page 12. Um, if he wants to go into that story and edit what happens to one character at any point in time, he can. He can go in and you know, rub out one thing and, and write in another thing. He has that freedom. And he can do that and still not be captured by his story. He could even write himself as a character into that book and still not be captured by that story. He can enter and engage and still remain over it. And so it is with God. He created time. He writes the beginning and the end and everything that happens in the middle. He transcends it. And yet he can enter it at his will freely without being bound by it simply because he is outside of it as the creator and lord of time. 
because he is that, he is able to choose to enter and to act in our time as he pleases, as he wills. And that's what we, as very time-bound, temporal people that we are, that's what we are able to see. What we see is a God who is over time and yet working in time. A God who makes plans, who logically lays out plans and who achieves those plans, not at the mercy of time, but utterly commanding it and directing it to his ends. And so we can read things like this in the Bible from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Do you hear? When the set time, that implies God had said, at this moment in time, this is going to happen. And even though, from our point of view, that took a long time to achieve, you know, it took thousands and thousands of years, God had a set time and he was working and directing things to that set time. It wasn't just a possibility. He said, you know, on this day I'd like this to happen and hopefully things will get there. Uh, God knew it was coming. He planned for it. It was foreseen, forewarned and fulfilled. He works in time. He works towards things in time. It's what Jesus himself said. This is what he said in John chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. My time has not yet fully come. Jesus is really here, really on this world, really acting in human history, and yet not bound by it, but free and active and working out his own plan in time, and for time. To the God who transcends, the God who has created time, who authors and controls its passing, the God who sees all of time, is able to and freely, personally enters into time. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? The transcendent stepping into the imminent and coming close. I mean, we can't comprehend a life outside of time, can we? We can't imagine what it would be not to have it. We're just so temporal. And yet he who exists in that, he has stepped in. He has entered our temporality in order to act directly. And not just to act directly, but to act directly for us and on our behalf. He who is infinite has chosen to come and limit himself in order to redeem and to save and to rescue sinners like us and to give us life. It's, it, it's marvellous, isn't it? I mean, think about our lives. Our whole life is about resisting and resenting limitations. We, we, we hate them. We do everything we can to try and push ourselves past limitations and past restrictions. We, 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 we loathe them. And yet God, who had none accepted them freely out of his choice to act on your behalf. God exercised his perfect freedom over time to enter it so that he could work on your, for your sake. He is transcendent. He sees all of it. Uh, he comprehends it like you would comprehend something in your hand or in your lap. He is above, beyond and outside of it and yet freely choosing to act in it, 
and to direct it and to work through it to his good ends and ultimately to the rescue of his people. That is quite remarkable, isn't it? Now, there is a possible issue here, though, isn't there? See, if God is so transcendent, so other, so different to us, if he is outside of time and therefore a completely different type of being to what we are, doesn't that just continue to increase that distance between us? Doesn't that make him just so much more impersonal? I mean, how can, how can those two things come together? Surely that makes him unknowable. Well, actually, actually his eternity achieves the opposite. His eternity means he is knowable. It means it can be personable to everyone. I mean, imagine for, a, imagine for a moment the alternative. Uh, imagine if God was tethered to time, even maybe just at one point or one small uh, moment. If God was tethered to time, that would mean that someone somewhere at some time was going to miss out on the fullest experience of him. Um, it's, it's, it's like when you try to retell a joke or re- relate a, a funny moment after it happened. You know, you can, you can get all the details, you can get the situation and the pitch and the, the pause and the punchline, all, all absolutely perfect, and yet it still falls flat, doesn't it? And you, you have to say, oh, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> it's awful. It's the worst way to end a story. But the same would happen if God was in time, wouldn't it? Someone wouldn't have been there. Someone would have missed out and not gotten the punchline, not gotten him as fully as someone else. See, only a truly eternal God could, be possibly, could possibly be knowable for all people through all time. It is because he's above, it's because he's greater than, because he's transcendent, that we all get the same experience of him and a good experience. A personal experience, because what we've seen, uh, what, what Christmas is all about. God becoming man, Jesus coming to this earth, that knowing of God is a personal knowing of God because he has chosen to make it personal. And it's for all of us. He has literally created time. And therefore he has created time to know people. To know his people. I mean, we, we talk about it in our own lives, don't we? We, we, get to, we get to this time of year and we just think, I can't wait for, be, for Christmas to be over. And then we can you know, carve out some time to spend with the kids or with the wife or with yourself. You know, we, we, we need that. We, we, we set aside portions of time for relationship, for, for people. And God did so much more. <laughs> he didn't just carve out a bit of time. He created all of it. He formed time and he entered time for relationship. As we saw earlier from Galatians 4, to adopt his people as his children, to know them personally. He can do that. He can only do that because he's eternal, because he's above and beyond and over time and therefore able to choose to do so. And to choose to do so, not just for a time, because the eternal God grants to his people eternal life. To know them not just for a moment, but to know them forever. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
So how can we relate to an eternal God? Well, we can do so forever. Because that's what he gifts us through Jesus, his son. He has personally come, he has personally created time, and he has given us forever to enjoy it with him. And he can do that all because he is forever. He is eternal. So his eternity means we can know him, and secondly, his eternity means we can trust him. So I think the hardest thing about time for us is we see so little of it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of like toddlers in a crowd. Our horizons are very close and it's scary. We, 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 we're just so limited. Uh, and it, it, it frightens us and it, and it affects us and it changes us. And the mistake that we start to make is we, we, we see those limitations, we feel those limitations so closely and we start to project those limitations back onto God. You know, something, uh, something unexpected pops up for us, something, something happens in our life, we get surprised and we get fearful or we get worried and we start to project those feelings back onto God and we say, I wonder if he saw that coming. Um, I wonder if he knew that was there. What, maybe it caught him by surprise as well. I mean, after all, if he could see all of time, if he knows what's to come then why would he allow these things? Why, we, why would he let us walk down this path? Why wouldn't he warn us or prevent it or just do something? And we can start to wonder, can't we? Maybe he doesn't know what's coming either. You know, maybe he sees all of this moment perfectly, but is as fuzzy as we are about what's to come. I mean, you know, if we knew what was coming, we'd try to dodge the painful stuff, wouldn't we? So surely he would try to help us do the same and to avoid these things. But since he doesn't stop them, maybe he doesn't know them. But God is eternal. He sees it all. And that's the very thing that makes him trustworthy. Maybe you can picture it like this. I hope I'm right on this because I know we have a medical imager here. Um, but someone, someone once explained an MRI to me. You know the, the big worry things that you get to slide in on at the hospital and they take lots of cool pictures of you? Uh, maybe you've had the experience. Pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, what I was told is, um, as you slide into that thing, what happens is it spins around really, really fast around you. And as it does, it takes a picture of you. And then it moves a tiny little bit and takes another picture. And it then keeps going and keeps going. We're going to have to have a talk afterwards and you can have explain if I'm right or not. This is how I'm told it works. It takes lots and lots of little pictures and then it takes all those pictures together and it makes a three-dimensional image. Now, let's picture time. We see one sliver. We see this moment right now and nothing is. And let's be honest, our picture of this moment is pretty fuzzy as well. We can't see what's been very well. We can't see what's coming even less. But God sees the whole thing. God sees time in 3D, so to speak. He sees the whole picture. And that's why we can, and that's why we need to trust him. We'll still face those painful things. Um, you won't see them coming. You won't be able to anticipate all of them. And you probably won't be able to see why they come. But he sees in 3D. He sees them because he knows, in fact, he wrote that bigger picture. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but... We often say, why did God let this happen? But have you ever thought about what God might not have let happen and <laughs> what the flip side might have looked like? Who knows where your life may have led had he not directed it here using those very things? 
even though it is painful, and it is. We can trust that it's good because he is good. And although we can only see the details of our now, he sees the big picture. He sees everything through all time and knows exactly why. And the wonderful news is that though he doesn't give us every bit of information we would ever like to have, he does give us the bottom line of the big picture. This is what we read in in Romans chapter 8. Paul writes this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Uh, Paul knew something of suffering. He'd experienced it in, in all sorts of awful ways. And yet in spite of that, he says, I see the big picture. There's glory ahead and it's a glory so great that, that nothing that we experience now will compare to it. What is that glory? Well, he continues later in that chapter. He says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Our presence are full of pain and groaning and confusion. But Paul reminds us the end, the greater picture, the bigger picture, is glory and adoption and redemption. And now is full of pain, full of difficulties and hardships. And yet right at the middle of now is a God who has stepped into now, stepped into time to make it right is a God who bore the ultimate suffering to change the trajectory of this world, to give a hope not yet realised, but certainly promised, a hope of redemption, a hope of restoration. That is the big picture. And Jesus stepped into time to make it so. Knowingly, knowing exactly what it was going to cost, anticipating it, and fulfilling it so that the end will be good. That is how the eternal God directs time. And that is why you can trust him. He is eternal. Time has no hold on him for he created it. He formed it. He planned every moment of it out. He's not bound by it. He's not limited by it. He is truly transcendent and eternal. And yet he is close and he is trustworthy. You and I are limited, but he is not. So hope in him, hope in knowing him and in trusting him who is forever. Let's pray to him. Let me lead you as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are everlasting and eternal that you are without beginning and end. You are the God who is, the God who is greater, who is the creator of time. Father, it gives us such incredible hope for we're reminded that you're not limited, you're not at the mercy of time or circumstance, you're not in the dark about what might be, but you are transcendent, you are over all. 
seeing all and directing all. Even in the darkest and hardest times, you are still working out your perfect plan for the redemption of all things under Jesus. And Father, we know that not only are you working towards that end, but you have stepped into time to bring it to that end, to die on a cross, to forgive sin, and to work towards restoration. Father, you are both personal and trustworthy. We pray that you would help us, that you would help us to be confident in your sovereignty, that you would help us to be at peace and to trust you, that you are in control at every moment. Lord, help us not to fear, help us not to be rocked by what's unexpected or what's difficult, but instead to trust, to trust in you and in your perfect plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.